0: Hello, friends. Welcome back to Imago Gay, a play on the term Imago Dei, which means in the image of God, because as humans, no matter who you are, we are all entitled to dignity and kindness. Happy Pride Month, everyone. Today I have spiritual care provider Roxanne Del Valle on the show with me. Thank you again for having me. In honor of Pride Month, I want to talk about something that's often debated, which is what is family? For those of you listening, I'm your host, Kendra Arsenault, and our sponsors for today are Spectrum Magazine and SDA Kinship International, so make sure to sign up for their newsletters where you will get the latest updates on queer news and happenings. So something I want to talk about today is this argument that I've often heard that is against gay marriage. And it often has. Which one is that? <laughs> well, there are several. <laughs> but according to this uh, book published by Andrews University, Hom- Homosexuality, Marriage, and the Church, on page 217, it says both family and anti family advocates, which <laughs> I still have to Those figure out.
1: Anti family advocates. As we were
0: like, no families around here. <laughs> we are against family. Anti family advocates argue that gay marriage will weaken commitment to marriage generally and the traditional forms of child-rearing in particular. And basically, you know, they talk about um, a victim in this situation. There is a victim of same-sex marriages, and it is children.
1: Oh, yes.
0: And it concludes, the chapter concludes with, You know, and we're looking forward to a day where we enter the new heaven and new earth, where children will be raised in ideal conditions and we will all live in peace and harmony. Until that day, however, we are to seek the best kind of justice we can in this world, especially for the weak and marginalized. Children? Children, excluding the LGBTQ community. (laughs) Asterisk.
1: (laughs) Wait, okay, so help me understand. Okay, is he saying that... Children are the victims of homosexual relationships because they have to witness it?
0: Well, because that there are not two biological parents in the home. Mm -hmm. And so the father and the mother are not present, you know, raising them with all of the wisdom of their years. And that that is an injustice for children.
1: Oh, okay. So like not having... Both genders represented, well, Yeah, both accepted genders represented in the home is harmful. Yeah. To, to, have, to be a victim of something, you have to suffer some right. consequences.
0: And it, to me, it's interesting to me how easy it is to get stuck on these constructed ideals. Because, you know, are we going to start... You know, excommunicating single mothers because they're not representing the ideal conditions for childbearing. You know, what do we do with mothers who die at childbirth? And now children have to be raised in a home without their biological Yeah, this is not parents. a novel
1: concept that children, right. some children grow up with just their grandmother
0: or their aunts, or whomever, because maybe there is addiction in the family, or maybe the parents were too young and they needed to continue getting an education, and so you have the older figures in the house helping to raise a child. I mean, there are so many variety of conditions why children might not be raised in like this nuclear 1950s type family. Bottom line, there are a variety of conditions that arise in this world that is not perfect that is far from the garden of eden people are being raised in and we're not instead of looking at and vilifying the individuals and going after a minority population like the lgbtq community you know why are we not attacking the greater forces that are responsible for for tearing families apart Right. Maybe it's economic constraints. Right. Maybe we're looking at even historically looking at America's participation in breaking up black families through the slave trade and and piecing off family members to different households. So why are we not talking about greater forces? Why don't we start fixing the structures that are preventing that from taking place?
1: That's a great point. And and that's not even mentioning all the internal stuff that happens in families often, that we don't talk about all the internal toxicity, right? When you introduce mental illness or even just Mm. poor coping behaviors and these generational traumas that get handed over and the impact on not just the family unit.
0: As if two loving individuals... Gay parents who come together and want to start a family isn't something that should be celebrated, mm-hmm. right? To say, I mean, there are gay couples who want to have their own children. There are some who choose to adopt. They're just, it's just like every other family, right? Okay. Like it doesn't, we're working in circumstances where families are not ideal. Not even the the one with the mom and the dad in them, right? Like there's a lot of toxicity that happens even under that family structure. I'd rather have two healthy gay parental figures in the home than two heterotoxic figures raising a child. Yeah,
1: well, I think we can't even get to that conversation around some folks because the idea of somebody living openly in sin, quotation marks, is just so not, without, you know, it's so far out of the realm of possibilities and solutions to offer the world, like I I think that people shut their ears off before you can even suggest that this might be a healthy
0: solution. Why do you think it's so tempting for people to like make a victim in a situation? How does that play into some of those dynamics of the Cartman drama triangle?
1: Well, I think that in general, the SDA mind is veered towards drama
0: The Great Controversy.
1: The Great Controversy, exactly. So I think culturally, we've just come to accept that we live in a greater drama and that we are all players of the greater drama. And I think that what happens is that every individual in their personal life and in their spiritual life kind of plays out this drama in every scenario. So... What the Cartman drama triangle suggests is that there's a persecutor, a victim, and a rescuer Mm. to any situation. So like in the Great Controversy, you have a persecutor, somebody who is trying to actively harm. You have Jesus, the rescuer, us, the victims. You can switch that around, of course. If, let's say, you commit a great sin and hurt somebody, then you're the persecutor. They are the victim. And Jesus is your personal rescuer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can also become the rescuer of Jesus. Let's say if you feel like because you're deviating and you're leading a sinful life that
0: you are hurting Jesus and so he's not victimized, way... <laughs> and you are the persecutor <laughs> right. at this point. Right. And you can save him from that pain if you just stop sinning. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So um, at any point, any, you know, you can be playing more than one role mm. right? And I think when you realize that that's how drama works and that you can live in that drama forever and you can go through cycles of what we call cycles of shame because you're constantly either not feeling enough, like you're not enough and you're undeserving, or you're in shame because you're this horrible person who's done something completely terrible and needs salvation. And it just, it's inescapable. So it doesn't allow any kind of personal or spiritual freedom, you're always bound by either your shame or an actual sin, right? Right, right. And so I think... In terms
0: of, you know, how this kind of thinking plays out. We're just always looking to fill that role. To fill a role. It's like the LGBTQ people, they're the persecutors, children are the victims, and the church is going to be the savior. Exactly, exactly.
1: (laughs) Which, you know, in a healthy dynamic, Mm -hmm. you really want to stay away from playing any kind of role. You know, when we do interventions for people who are self-worth dynamics, they tend to put chaplains on a pedestal, Mm -hmm. and we can see how dangerous it is to create that kind of disparity and to establish yourself as an authority figure in somebody's life. Ideally, we want them to draw conclusions through this very inductive process and be very mindful of respecting agency, autonomy, history, their relationship with God so that we're not superimposing something. and. Even when you think of something like a rescuer, oh, that's something positive. Um, you'll, maybe you should bring a psychologist into the podcast, but talk about how, you know, putting people in these categories can be actually very detrimental to somebody's healing. Yeah. Spiritually, physically, emotionally, you know, all of life is about restoring relationships and a sense of connection, whether they're biological or emotional, like I said, and and so w- the roles we play in other people's life can fit their drama or we can provide a healthier framework right. and not pick up a role and just allow the person to name how they feel victimized in their story, but also show them that they can be their own rescuer and yeah. that because they're their own persecutor, that they can also fix that as well. So. I think it really does a lot to empower
0: somebody when you don't take up a role for exactly, them. Exactly, exactly. LGBTQ homelessness is like, I think, you know, the, the highest percentage of youth that are homeless are the LGBT youth. So when we talk about like children who are at risk, right? <laughs> <laughs> we should be looking at the LGBTQ youth in particular, people who are in need of those safety systems and sometimes you know it requires a foster parent and a foster mom or a foster dad and or an adoptive parent and i think i've been reflecting on that in my own life because i've often gone back and forth between you know do i want a biological kid or do i want to adopt and i think i've just had so much more respect in this stage of my life for what foster and adoptive mothers and fathers bring to this space because they are creating legitimately a foundation for human beings who are not going to have that foundation if they're in the, the foster system. So it's been been thinking about that lately.
1: Yeah. So, so many directions to go from there. <laughs> you look up all the things that make up a person's identity and family is among them. So yeah. you're messing with something that's very core when you're alienating somebody from that core group. But as I'm hearing you talk about, you know, what kind of direction that you want to go into is so what I like to foster, Would I like to adopt, Would I like to have mm-hmm. my own biological children. It seems like we value family, like we're validating the need for family. But then, on the other hand, we're also making space for how families can look different given less ideal circumstances, less than ideal circumstances. And what my invitation is, for any person who is no longer living within their ideal scenario, like I encounter a lot of suffering in patient rooms and just in life in general and talking to friends and family, you know, when... You have to have that hard conversation of like, this is my ultimate hope, and it is no longer accessible to you. The realities around you are such that, you know, things happen in life that make those goals or those ideals or those hopes kind of change, mm-hmm. right? And so when that happens, when the hope that you had for that specific day and the way that you wanted it to look like is no longer accessible, you begin to have a very difficult conversation about what your next hope is. And, you know, it's not about kind of retaining some sort of ideal and living in this grief of you always live with grief because that's part of human life and, you know, you can't just move on from it. It's something you cope with. But Mm. just, I don't understand, you know, with a church that sees the world around them, why they aspire or we aspire to some Edenic principle, ideal of what life should be and ignore the crisis of the everyday life and make religion so unapplicable to the everyday person's life, that it just feels out of touch and cruel, and yeah. it doesn't allow room for conversations around next hopes or adaptabilities. And from what I read in Scripture and from what I see about other you know, passages that maybe contextually made sense but no longer apply, I think, you know— I see an adaptable God. I see a yeah. compassionate God. I see a God who gave norms for slavery, as you've talked about in the past, but not one who necessarily wanted and promoted slavery. Yeah. So, you know, it's like at some point you have to look at Scripture and realize its context and stay in tune with what's happening today. And I think that, you know, the kind of homosexual relationships that are described in the passages found in Scripture are more related to indiscriminate sex and, uh, well. Rape and
0: and violence.
1: And I think it's important to talk about, but it's so hard to begin a conversation when there's not even an emotional understanding of the experience of those, right? Like, I mean, what's the alternative? Don't get married. Don't have children. Hide the rest of your life and don't make anybody else uncomfortable and if you can if you are virtuous enough please convert yourself rely about it so that other people can be inspired to have your life as well which is one of
0: you know. Right. When we talk about these types of ideals, I, I love this idea of next hopes. I think it applies very like well to people who are going through divorce as well, because I think that's all often a conversation that has to be had, which is next hopes, right? This relationship did not work out. There are irreconcilable differences. And that could be anything. Two people could have grown apart where you just you're not on the same page about life and about your values, or maybe there was a breaking of trust that happened that just does not feel like it can be mended again, right? Like there are these moments of breakage in relationship where people will say, people have stayed together for the children, right? And oftentimes children will say, I would rather you have gone your separate ways and been a healthy human being and taught us to do hard things when we have to do them than to try and stick it out and be miserable because it's not fun for us to have unhappy parents, right? So even in navigating the unidealisms of the world and when, you know, the, the version of what you hope life would be falls apart, it is good for kids to have a mentor, for them to see an example that sometimes life doesn't always fall perfectly together, and, but life goes on and you can continue to construct your next hopes, right? That is a life skill to, for this life, right?
1: Absolutely. And the thing <laughs> is, too, is like when you're having that conversation with somebody in a very desperate and dire situation where they're not necessarily emotionally ready, mm-hmm. uh, right? Like the reality has arrived before. <laughs> The person feels prepared to deal with it. You can expect a range of coping mechanisms, right? Or coping maturity. Somebody might throw a tantrum because they cannot reconcile the reality with what they hoped would happen. And so they're not ready for that next hope conversation. Some people go through those stages of grief Uh, In a very childlike way, right? Because they never developed the, the ability to have these kind of hard conversations. They didn't have maybe parents who made it safe or something happened in their childhood that emotionally stunted their ability to make sense of these realities. And you have to have a lot of compassion available, which I think in my professional role is very easy to access. But when I am a member of a church and I am trying to have a difficult conversation around I know this is what you hoped I would be. You know, whether that be to my community at large or to my close relatives or to my friends or to my mentors who are devastated by the reality that Now they have to carry the burden that I have had to carry in the dark by myself. I was having a conversation with a man the other day, and he was in his 90s, and he was talking about, you know, he's from this Roman Catholic faith and has a very devoted life to God. And he talks about understanding the love of god conceptually and not doubting it you know i think at one point in reflecting back to him how he sounded he said no no no. i trust i trust that he loves me i believe it i just don't feel it and the heartbreak that after 90 years of being alive that this is something that he was grasping for that he understood the love of god but couldn't feel it you know I could join in the heartbreak of that disconnect. And I don't want to have that towards my God. And I certainly don't want to have that towards my community where there's kind of like this theoretical love that's available,
0: but it's never experienced and it's not felt in the ways that are meaningful. And I think, you know, as we move into what our next hopes, my next hope would be a celebratory space, you know to celebrate LGBTQ families, right, to recognize the unique and beautiful picture of what a family can look like that that brings. Because even to say, like, even if this is not your ideal, whoever I'm speaking to generalities, even if that's not someone else's ideal, doesn't mean that it wasn't God's ideal. You know, looking at um, a world that is overpopulated, with, with people or with kids who need homes, like to have a growing number of, of LGBTQ homes that might be more willing in some ways to adopt than maybe a heteronormative family. Like those- can have biological children.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like when you get to the practice of like, oh, there's the practical benefits. What what make homosexual couples- Or a portion, let's say a ratio of homosexual couples, an ideal in a world that's overpopulated, in a world where there is legislation that limits um, access to reproductive healthcare or that
0: desires to do so. Exactly. Right. Or, you know. That
1: there is a problem right now where we have k- kids in the system.
0: Exactly. And it that's, solves
1: that's, some problems, right. even if in your mind it creates others.
0: And even if it's just, and not, not to put every LGBTQ family in the role of martyrdom and, and like having to be foster parents, but even if it's just to fit the ideal of diversity, right? When I think about this world, you know, when we go back to the the origins of like, you know... A long time ago, before humans kind of overpopulated the earth, there were so many diverse animals that have now gone extinct. And I think what happens when there is overpopulation, there's also this kind of loss of diversity where everything becomes crows and seagulls and squirrels, and we lose the richness that nature once had to offer. I think diversity is delicate, and it's something that should be protected when it arises, so even if it's just to give a new picture of what family can look like, that's an ideal of an in and of itself.
1: Absolutely, and that life isn't determined by um, how similar this person is to Adam and Eve. Right. Right. We don't determine the value of a person by their components, whether that be biological, psychological, or otherwise. Right? Yeah. We don't say, oh, you're more valuable to us. You're more worthy of our compassion, our love, our acceptance, even our pride. Because, oh, you're, you fit this physical ideal. Right? Yeah. We still value human life. Uh, but I think in relating to the LGBTQ community and what it offers the world, Aside from color, (laughs) I think you have to think about the people around you, those who have been brave enough to step into their light and their truth and share that with you, even through the fear, even through the understanding that they might disappoint you, that can you point to a person in your life that is of the LGBTQ community that you appreciate their contribution, their presence, that, and if, and if not then I would invite you to think about kind of what is the bias that is not helping you to see the value of this human being because God brought them into this world knowing full well, you know, that this is who they would turn out to be.
0: Yeah. Then there's, you know, so we kind of ruminate on family. I think the last part of family that I want to touch upon is like chosen family. You know, at the end of the day, as we grow older, you know, as much as I think, you know, ideally, <laughs> we all want to be connected somehow to our families of origin. Sometimes that's not possible. Sometimes there's death in the family. Sometimes there is all types of loss or ways that we become estranged, whether through it's religious ideologies or not. We move into the world of adulthood where now we are choosing our family, people that we want to live life with, and we get to choose how close in proximity we want to be with another human being, whether they're going to stay in the category of friend or whether they're going to enter into the category of family. And I think something that has been profound for me, uh, you know, watching these documentaries as I do, one of them I do recommend, it's on Hulu, it's called The Deep End, that without core people in your corner you are so much more vulnerable to the diseases of mental health, financial vulnerabilities, social vulnerabilities. You know, I I just see like, for example, in this cult, it's mostly made up of people who are lonely and depressed and people who are looking for core family, but they are at risk of being manipulated and brought into this movement where they feel like they belong, And so family is such a stabilizing force in the world that I found in my own self and in my partnership that it has brought something very profound in in, in terms of stability uh, and that I am immensely grateful for. I I really believe that where there is family and there is love, there is the presence of God, you know, and I, I find it to be a holy thing and, you know... God be with you or to the person who wants to tear that apart.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, with reference to the documentary you mentioned, what happens is these people who are in deep spiritual searching come across this woman who has been diagnosed with certain disorders and has been in therapy since a young age. And indeed, kind of like the language that she uses is very familiar to anybody who has been in mental health, and it's definitely a language that I'm very familiar with. So I could see her replicating maybe the interventions that were done on her mm. with this larger population of spiritual seekers, which is all fine and well, except that she's not qualified. She doesn't have the tools to be able to apply these theories. No <laughs> there's no accountability. And she encourages them to kind of go on this mission with her And one of the first steps is like to be so devoted that maybe
0: to the exclusion of their own personal families. And she begins implanting these false memories about how your family was abusive to you. And then people start separating themselves from their family of origin.
1: Right, right. And again, somebody who maybe has not been trained but has been exposed to much of those therapies herself might... Be able to manipulate these people to actually accepting false memories about their parents and abuse in their life and trauma in their life and having very traumatic, uh, just tr- trauma in the moment because of their new discovered realization about that what didn't happen. Was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of something that did not happen. Right. But, anyways, just how, you know, she gains control, she gains fame, She gain- she boosts her ego. On the dep- depending on these followers who she only was able to do that by breaking them apart from their family ties of origin, yeah. And so I think like going back to your points, like people do become more vulnerable when those people that are meant to support you and who are there and who have secure attachments to them and are safe persons to explore life through and and bounce ideas off of and rely on their love and their care. Yeah. Without that, you are way too vulnerable. We're not trying to say that somebody can't be independent. I mean, that's what true relationship is. It it encourages yeah. a true sense of independence. But I find that oftentimes when you're sacrificing family for another kind of relationship. You're just transferring that power somewhere else rather than finding it within you. Family helps for you to actually be courageous, for you to actually be brave. To be yourself. Exactly, your own person. Good family, right? Non-toxic family builds you up and provides a solid foundation for you
0: to trust yourself. Yeah, and whoever is going to provide that hetero family or LGBTQ family or... When we think of parents and the roles that they play in our lives, you know,
1: I know the church has made it out to be, well, women have these qualities and men have these qualities and we need both of them for what? To to fit into the same roles as them, you know? Mm. But the role of parents, is it really to pass on gender norms or is it to protect you? to teach you something about the gospel, to teach you that life is connection, to say, I love you no matter what, and live out, a, a, a
0: be a model of who God is in the home. Yeah. Sure. I mean, how many people say they can't stand who God is because they can only picture their father exactly. or their parental figure when they think about God? Exactly. And,
1: you know, when you talk to people and what they're going through, you always have to be aware of some kind of transference, right? Sure. What what are they transferring to other authority figures? You'll likely understand a lot about their relationship to their parents by their relationship to any authority figure around them. Yep. You know? And I think... It's like we've reduced, or, or in the church, we've reduced the role of parents to passing on these gender norms and or having a the sense gospel of hierarchy salvation. You know, and proselytizing these, these overarching goals of the church, rather than actually modeling and living through a gospel that will be transformative inevitably to the mm. larger society if both guardians in the home aspire to be like God
0: and be transformed by God. Yeah. I can say that my family was not religious, but I think my dad taught me more about love than any any church that I've ever been a part of. And so, like, that's a powerful like I would rather have that reference mm-hmm. and and to walk into the world. And I think even just like knowing my dad is is there for me at the end of the day. Knowing I can depend on him financially if I if if I get in a rut. If I, like, if anything happens if you to me. you get fired. If I get fired. For being gay. <laughs> or being gay. <laughs> if I, if I want to change careers and, I'm, and I might be in a, like a, in a transition period, yeah. knowing that this person is here and will support me has made me brave. And to want to go out and try new things and to not necessarily choose the safest path in life because I know this person would be there for me. And I think that that's, like, that is invaluable. You can't buy that, right. right? And so being able to now I'm in a place where I'm like, how do I pay that forward? How do I be that for somebody else at some point in time in the future?
1: And, and you know what? We, this concept shouldn't be foreign to us. Right. I hear preachers all the time give these silly examples about, do you want to be right or do you want to get along? Something to that effect of, like, minimizing a sense of righteousness for a sense of connection. But yet, as a church, we keep on approaching society and the LGBTQ community through theory and a sense of righteousness before we seek that connection. And the connection seems superficial anytime it's offered under the guise of, well, you know where I stand and... Mm. I, I need to come across as somebody who's loving. So I'm going to say that I love you, but at any point that I get, I'm going to shame this lifestyle. Right. So I think, you know, why not? If we can do it in our homes, if we if we were to do that for our spouses, if if in seeking God in our intimate relationships, we can look for a sense of connection when we're disagreeing, then why can't we offer that to members of the church who just come to a different conclusion yeah why why does the solution have to be severance why can't there be reconciliation amongst the difference you know as an interfaith chaplain i know that i can't go into a room and try to convert somebody to my beliefs that would be extremely unethical especially in a moment of vulnerability, to superimpose a theology on them. So there is room to have a connection, a meaningful spiritual connection, without relying on agreeing on theology. You're just trying to make room for
0: yourself. And so I just... Well, I think, you know, no matter, no matter what f- your family looks like, whether it's a hetero family or an LGBTQ family or it's chosen family. I think family is sacred at the end of the day. And these are the building blocks of of our life. These are the building blocks of how we become brave in the world. These are the building blocks that create stability. And I think that if the church wanted to offer something, there is a value to marriage, there is a stability that is offered in marriage, financial stability, emotional stability, that we can say, okay, this is a, a ministry that we want to, we want to, you know, praise because we think marriage is so great and take out all of the other baggage that we've brought along with it and the shame and the kind of the taboo-ness of, of but gay people are not allowed access to this. If it is the great potion, the the, the end-all to be-all thing that we've, proclaimed it to be. It should be offered to everybody. Thank you all for listening this week and thank you to spiritual care provider Roxanne. If you'd like to follow her, you can do so on Instagram at Roxanne Marie. Imago Gay is a podcast where we explore queer questions and a colorful God. In addition to Curious Conversations, I am so grateful For all of you who continue to reach out and share your personal stories, tragedies, and triumphs within the queer community of faith. If you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to rate it on Spotify or Apple podcast and share this episode with a friend. If you want to follow me, you can write to me at Kendra Arsenault with an X on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow our sponsors for today, Spectrum Magazine and SDA Kinship International, And be sure to sign up for their newsletters where you will get the latest updates on queer news and happenings. This episode was created by yours truly and engineered by Ari Bates.